Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Uh, against Brad's better advice, I'm going to start with a small story. Uh, 1979 year-end uh, Masters for the uh, Pro Tennis Tour, and uh, tennis player Vitas Gerolaitis had lost 16 times previous to uh, player Jimmy Connors. And then he won the 17th match, and he said, and let that be a lesson to you all. Nobody beats Vitas Gerolaitis 17 times in a row. And we have big Vitas Gerolaitis vibes today as Red Wings fans, having won in Tampa Bay for the first time in literally a decade as Brad slouches off of his chair into a puddle, angry at me for bringing up that story. I've seen it referenced so many times today already. (laughs) Wasn't it a Darren Helm empty net goal then as well? <laughs> it wasn't an empty netter. Apparently, there was uh, there was still a goalie in that, but it was a late Darren Helm goal. I think that sealed it today. So, or are we talking when he uh, served? Yeah, to make it uh, forty love. <laughs> it didn't even make sense, man. No, it didn't. I don't know all that much about tennis. Yeah, well, uh, the Red Wings win five one in Tampa Bay, lifting our spirits and distracting us from the uh, horrendous truth that is the new Bally Sports score bug, which I'm sure I'll yell about for not hopefully not too long, but still far too much. Uh, but happy Easter, guys! Happy Easter. I always like holidays like this, which are just you know generally the for us like we're just we don't have kids at home. It's kind of like a whatever thing. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me specifically? Uh yeah, I'm saying because yeah, like, I don't think I was included in that statement. No, no, Brad no, doesn't no, yeah. 6:30. Brad doesn't have kids at home, you know. It's not for him. <laughs> no, like Evan, yeah, you and I, like we don't. This is kind of we do whatever we want on this day. Um, can barely see family this year, right? And then I always my mind goes to Brad. I'm like, oh my god, this must be one of his busiest days of the year. Like he has to give his kids candy and sugar and chocolate, and then suffer the consequences. Yeah, I have multiple bruises just from kids jumping around, falling off stuff, jumping into me on purpose. Mika threw a basketball at me at one point. It's been, <laughs> it's been a great day. What's it like gotta, to get bullied by your your daughter? <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, somehow worse than you two. I believe. We take, yeah, we take it easy on you. No, actually, she's, she's ruthless. She holds nothing back. Yeah, Mika Mika would definitely torture us if she had the opportunity as well. Yeah, because with you two, I can just, you know, give it back and call you idiots. I can't call a, like, while frowned upon and technically not illegal, I'm still not calling a child an asshole, <laughs> even though sometimes I really want to. <laughs> oh, man. On this episode of the podcast, uh, quite a bit to talk about in terms of Red Wings games. There have been three uh, since we last uh, had an episode, so uh, all of them in florida one against the panthers and two against tampa bay which just wrapped up today um we'll dive into that we'll dive into svechnikov being waived and the you know small flare-up into a an eventual fizzle out that was that story um i'll do my whining about the score bug and just some general news uh and conversation about the red wings we are going to be continuing our prospect profiles talking today about uh, another michigan prospect 
Matthew Beneers, and uh, also addressing some news from around the NHL, specifically uh, what's been going on in Vancouver with their outbreak before jumping into uh, overtime. Uh, but before we do that, again, just wanted to call attention to um, the fact that we've partnered with the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and it's an excellent initiative and one that we know you guys, most of you already know about, but if you don't, we encourage you to go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to learn more about how to support them and what the foundation does, which is strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. Um, it was established in, in the memory of Jamie, Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. More to come on that partnership, um, but in the meantime, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. All right, uh, the Red Wings. Let's talk about today's game first because that was probably the most eventful and the happiest. And again, first time the Red Wings have won in Tampa Bay in 10 years. It was February 17th, I think the date was, in 2011. Um, Brad, you put out a tweet, and I just want you to say it again on air, and I, I want to make sure I understand it. So, This is the first time in the history of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Detroit Red Wings have won in Tampa Bay where Nicholas Lidstrom wasn't on the roster, not counting playoffs. That feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> Since their inception. Yeah. So we oh, had man. Nick Lidstrom and we beat Tampa plenty and then we didn't have Nick Lidstrom and then we stopped beating Tampa. And actually a few of those losses were still with Nick Lidstrom, but uh yeah. It seems to be a trend. All of the bad things started when Nick Lidstrom went away. Weird how that works. Uh, when I was uh, still an undergrad, we would take um, like buses, like Greyhound buses from city to city if we wanted to go visit another town to like party or visit friends or something. And one time uh, we were all hungover, like really hungover. We had a friend who did not like celebrating his birthday, so we turned it into a three-day event. His last name was Buffum, so we called it the Buffum Bash. And he was not—he—he he wasn't a willing participant in this, but we did it anyway. So, Friday night was we just got destroyed, and on Saturday morning we were taking a bus to Toronto to go see um, a Jays game, and it's like seven thirty in the morning. We're just destroyed at this Greyhound bus stop, and an old man walks up to me and looks at my Red Wings hat and he goes, "The Red Wings will never win another Stanley Cup now that they've lost Nicholas Lidstrom." And he strolled away. And I think about that man often. <laughs> so far, he's correct. And I that hope he's man not doing was Nicholas Lidstrom. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think about that old guy so much. And I just hope he's not doing well, you know? Like, screw you, buddy. What Why did dick. you? Yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> I live with that every. That was like a three second encounter. He must have said that to a hundred people in his life. But it's just like, buddy, no one asked for that. I didn't need that truth. And now it's like a, the, a, a curse. It's like a real thing that exists in my brain. It's weird because I have a Nick Lidstrom Toronto-related story, but mine is uh, worked in my favor. Uh, I, I've told parts of this story before, but I'll get into one specific part. So back in 2013, 2014, whatever year it was, the Leafs went on that epic eight-game losing streak in March to plummet out of the playoffs. And on the eighth game of the eight game losing streak was when the Leafs fell out of the playoffs and Detroit leapfrogged them to get into the playoff to that last playoff spot. And then they'd hold it for the rest of the season. The fun thing about that game was it was Toronto against Detroit in Toronto. 
I was at the game, Darren Helm's only career hat trick. And at this, I think it was during the second intermission, like the, this place was a funeral home. Nobody was making noise. Leafs fans were devastated. I think the Red Wings were up 4-1 at the time. And keep in mind, going into this game, the Red Wings were not in a playoff spot. They were not a great team. And I was wearing my Lidstrom jersey. And the only chirp anybody could muster for the final 40 minutes of that game was I was at a urinal taking a piss in the second intermission. Someone saw my Lidstrom jersey and yelled, hey, Lidstrom, bet you miss him. I'm like, I do. And somehow we're still up by three. <laughs> I no comeback. It was so satisfying. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something to do with, uh, hey, how's it like to use a real urinal? Not like the troughs they have with the Joe. Yeah, honestly, it was kind of nice if we're if we're being honest. <laughs> it's a one thing where like you look back and that was definitely type two fun. Like in the moment, you're like, geez. But looking yeah, back, no, you're it's, like, ah, it's one of those fun to reminisce about. Like when you were like yeah, 20 yeah. years old going to work hungover at like seven in the morning on a Saturday. But then you're like, no, I would never want to do that again. Same vibe. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. The Red Wings uh, game against Tampa Bay today, 5-1 win. Uh I think that was a culmination of a good weekend overall from Grice. That was probably the best stretch of hockey he's played in in some time uh, in, in terms of like crossing over from game to game. So the first game didn't pan out for him. The Red Wings didn't pull off the win, but uh, and he didn't have any goal support. But today he did get five goals of support from the Red Wings. Um, I first want to talk about that power play goal because I feel like that whole sequence leading up was just like premier larkin premier zadina like that was really really good hockey from the red wings i'll throw in premier ernie too but i'll touch on that play in a, in a <laughs> which is a real thing we're saying that i i meant that literally and it felt weird and yeah uh, not and ironic somehow, anymore and as if on theme ernie's play was fixing a bad play by ironic so <laughs> 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 gotta love it absolutely the whole that whole what was it? 20, 25 second sequence in the offensive zone. Easily, hands down, the best sequence the Red Wings have had on the power play all year, both from a recovery standpoint and an actual making play standpoint, because Tampa had two easy clears in that time. None of them left the zone. The first one, I don't know how Larkin like Gandalf did out of the air with one hand on his stick right at the blue line to save the what zone. What a keep. Speaking of Lidstrom, like that was Lidstrom-esque yeah. the way he L- kept that out of the air. One hand at the blue line in midair, just unbelievable. And then, you know, the puck gets moved around. Puck ends up in the corner. Tampa gets possession back. I want to say it was Blake Coleman gets it, and he's just about ready to yeet it down the ice. Where Philip Zadina, and, and I tweeted this phrase, but I'm going to repeat it here. The word Datsukian gets used too much by Red Wings fans because I think we forgot how ridiculous the things Pavel Datsuk did were. But Pavel Datsuk's steal, dangle, and pass was Datsukian. Like, that was the stuff Pav used to do. And Zadina did it flawlessly. Didn't even lift the stick, just muscled Coleman off the puck, just kind of karate chopped his stick in one move, took the puck, took it around Coleman, made the pass unbelievable the finesse like the finesse with how he handled that puck the body and the puck deke was like like that takes skill it's it's one thing to steal the puck but usually there's another puck battle right after because they swing their stick and stick check you right after yeah he that was that was masterful yeah he he was way better than england there because he knew what he wanted to do and he had an exit plan anyways um so the puck went back to oh my god 
Okay, be be one hundred percent honest. How long have you had that one on deck? I literally came up with that one on the spot. I'm not even lying. The worst part is it was good. That's what's bothering me. <laughs> Go continue. Anyway, so puck works its way back to Heronic at the point, and Heronic does what Heronic does: just fires the puck blindly through traffic at the net. I don't remember the play well enough to know if he had an outlet, but it was it was a nothing play. I think it hit the first defender. But here's where it gets good, because that puck was just kind of going aimlessly. Uh, looked like it probably would have ended up in the far corner, but Adam Ernie was in between where the puck was going and the puck. And uh, he had a defender on him, so he knew he wouldn't be able to handle it. He literally just one touch deflected that. Like, literally just, he knew Larkin was there. Didn't bother handling the puck, didn't try doing anything with it, just tapped it. Just def- redirected it to Larkin, who took it. Took the space Tampa gave him and ripped it home. Unbelievable. Like, could we have imagined a sequence like that on the Red Wings power play a month ago? <laughs> it, it's happening more and more. I think a lot of it has to do with, with Zadina. Um, we've seen Zadina play better and better every game. And I think he's been good from start to finish this year. There have been very few games where he's not looked noticeable or at the least at, at the very least really strong um in the previous game the loss to tampa bay he had an excellent back check where he committed to back checking the like the almost the full 200 feet of the ice that might be dramatic but like most of the ice and it paid off in a one goal game late where detroit was trying to tie it up they ultimately didn't but still it paid off because he stopped an easy tap in goal that is the 200 foot version of zadina that we've talked about in the past that's the he's not just a scorer this guy can move up and down the ice and be effective in all ends um that stripping the puck that's something that we saw at the start of the year and we've highlighted on previous episodes of the podcast like that's a talent that or a skill that he's worked on in the offseason and it's paying off the production's not really there for most red wings right now unless you're adam ernie and again that's strange to say not ironically but zadina's doing all of those little things better and better and better every game and that has a lot to do with it because who was it before brad who would move the puck through the seams on the power play. The only person. There was one. Mantha would try it every once in a while. Dylan, I, I mean, this that didn't pay off. That didn't work out. But Dylan Larkin really would be the one to, if there was, if the power play was working any kind of a, a appreciable way, Larkin would be the one to try to, to, to shift the defenders and get movement and move the puck through a seam that he created or found. Um a lot of that goes away when Bertuzzi's not on this team. Um, and yeah, from time to time, Mantha would try it. But you add the Zadina element there who also, you know, sees lanes. Like you said, Brad, earlier today, I saw you posted this. Zadina sees lanes that other people really don't. And he tries for those plays. Is he a perfect player? No, he's still young and developing. But it adds another dimension when you can have that on the power play with Larkin. And it creates an actual moving, real breathing power play. Yeah, it's the... The whole reason I, I know power plays are five man units, but the, the reason that power play unit has been so effective is the middle. It's been Larkin on the left, Ernie in the slot, Zadina on the right. Heronic and Rasmussen have been adequate at what they've been asked to do on that power play, but they are not driving it at all. And they are not going above and beyond what would be expected of them. Like it would be probably fair to say if you're playing on the first power play unit, they are doing the bare minimum of what would be deemed acceptable. Not saying they've been bad. So they've been good enough to not be pulled off that power play, but again, not the driving lines. 
Ernie's been making things happen in the slot and Zadine and Larkin have been creating chaos and making plays off the half walls. And that is why that power play unit has been so good. Like beautiful. If three players can run it, imagine if hypothetically Luke Hughes is running that uh, power play in two years or Albert Johansson or Mo Sider and Tyler Bertuzzi's net front. Imagine good- what that power play could do that that frees up then your half walls for the next power play unit to be lucas raymond and anthony mantha this is how rebuilds work you find something that works tinker with everything else but when you find that thing that works good now you have options as the new players come in as the new guard comes in now we're not going to be worried oh god as good as lucas raymond is i really hope he can carry that first power play unit which is a lot to ask of a 19, 20, 21 year old, no matter how good they are. Now we don't need to. Yeah. I still think that first power play unit needs fixing. I think Rasmussen's better suited to the second unit. I'm still not sold as heroic as a power play option at all, depending who the options are. Um, but he's doing a fine job there for what he's being asked. And yeah, now, now there's options and it's a, friggin relief because it only took what five and a half years to find one (laughs) um you know we've talked this much about ernie let's just say it he has had the kind of play this year that we hoped he would have had last year i don't want to speak too soon in that this is going to be the new norm for adam ernie but if he if he is this is well worth the fourth round pick that eisman paid for him this is what a lot of people us included hoped would come because you know he said himself he has an offensive game that he just didn't have the opportunity to tap into in tampa bay because that's a stacked roster and he's just not playing the minutes or the personnel to to tap into that offensive game uh we didn't see it last year but uh, this year we are getting a little bit of it he has he's third on the red wings and goals he has eight goals now including a very skillful finish in the first game against tampa bay on saturday like he's no schmuck it's very um darren helm just an abdicator the way they would score when they would put up points in their heyday vibes like he gets to Dar- the top darren air. helm is never scoring the goal yeah, yeah, yeah that's i i knew that was coming in but in his defense he did score the empty netter brad so the darren helm horde gets a point over you today he avoided pulling the riley shahan and i'm thrilled for it um it's yes that actually is really good i'm, I'm very happy that happened um no, Adam Ernie is 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 deserves the recognition. I think he's a good case for um, giving a player an opportunity to try to be tried out in different scenarios. Um, is it going to work out like that every time? No, not every player is going to be able to do what Adam Ernie's doing, and who knows if Adam Ernie's even going to sustain this this rate. But for him to uh, put up eight goals and five assists so far and be really a depth player, like a third fourth line player for the red wings if that's what he can be moving forward fantastic honestly this is enough like this little stint right now is enough for me to be happy with adam ready like this is fun if he like slows down and doesn't really do too much more of this or it's at like a more tempered pace i don't really care like it's good to see him have the success and it's been a nice addition to the red wings yeah the one thing i was hoping uh, for pro let me say Prospect development is number one, but beyond that, I think the number one thing I was hoping for going into this season above all else was I wanted the pending unrestricted free agents to make me feel conflicted because if I want them gone, it means they're bad and we're getting no return for them. And if we re-sign them, I'm pissed. 
right? So the fact that guys like Bobby Ryan, Adam Ernie, John Merrill are playing great, now it's a win-win. We trade them. It's probably going to be for a half-decent return because I I think Adam Ernie is one of the pending UFAs, but still, he could get some value for how he's been playing. Um, but if he's a guy that you're like, yeah, let's sign him to a two-year contract extension and, and use him as a usable piece as this team turns around, I'd also sit here and go, great. Like, there's there's no conflict in my mind there. If we trade him, like I said, Bobby Ryan, it applies for a few guys, but Adam Ernie was not on this list a month ago. So it we get so few wins this season. It's nice when we basically walk into not a guaranteed win, but I mean, Eisenman knows where these guys are going to stand contract wise. He's either going to trade them or he's going to resign them because he's not going to just sit there and let these guys expire. Now, you know, guys like Patrick Nemeth and Darren Helm, I could see there just being no trade offers for and no extensions offered. Fair. That's going to happen with some guys. It's fine. But Ernie will get trade demand and he will get, uh, he will have a good case to stick around. So it's all I wanted going into the season. And we've got it from more than a few of the players that we were hoping to get that from. I'd be surprised if Ernie got trade demand, but it would be nice. Yeah. And yeah, like, I'm not saying he'd get like a second round pick, but if you're a contender right now looking at how Adam Ernie's playing, you're like a third or a fourth round pick. I think that would be more than reasonable. If hell, if he trades him for, he was worth a fourth round pick two years ago when he sucked <laughs> for lack of a better word. So his value's only gone up from there. Not that much, but uh, yeah. At the very least, it's been fun to see him fill in, and I'm happy to to be wrong about having him on the power play. Um, and other news, I guess it's worth noting that this was just a really fun game overall to watch. Depth scoring galore. I mean, Michael Rasmussen got on the scoreboard, and he's been playing, I think, really strong hockey. Talk about improving the game little by little. Michael Rasmussen's a great hallmark for that. I think, Valtteri- I think there's an interesting conversation to be had with Rasmussen, too. Because I think he has come full circle in terms of how fans perceive him. And it's been fascinating to watch. He went from high expectation, ninth overall pick to, oh my God, there's no way he's going to live up to that. What an absolute bust. To now he's playing at the level of what I would say is an acceptable third liner. He still has massive flaws in his game. No vision. Um no agility in his game, but he wins puck battles. He gets to the front of the net. He makes things happen in a dirty, ugly way, which is fine, which is someone you pick late in the first round, early second round, but now people are overreacting to his performance. So uh, I've, I've seen a lot of, oh, Michael Rasmussen is here to stay top six forward. Yeah. And I'm not there yet. I, he has not been playing like a top six forward, but like I said, he's been playing like a good third liner which is above what my expectations were honestly not all that long ago so he went from this overrated bust at ninth overall to now overperforming third line expectations and people are thrilled it's been quite the fascinating arc yeah yeah i mean i i would be hesitant to really expect much at this point you take every single step michael rasmussen takes as a gift and that's not to say he's worthless as a prospect that's not the case but it's like like you said brad he's been way up way too high and way down way too low i think if michael rasmussen sets in as a third line guy who has some flaws in his game that can be covered because he's not playing top six minutes and then contribute on the power play in a 
you know, come through with a huge goal from time to time when the Red Wings are a playoff team, like I would be over the moon within the context of Michael Rasmussen about that. I think expecting anything more is just saying you and Michael Rasmussen up for artificial failure. Yeah, because he's a, his defensive metrics are good. He's gotten a lot quicker. You can't teach big and he's big and he knows how to utilize it in a lot of situations. Something and he has touch bad. around the net. That's valuable. If you take Michael draft Michael Rasmussen's draft spot and move it from ninth overall to 30th overall, everybody's thrilled with his trajectory so far. I, that That's literally the only downside is where he was picked, which given who was available sucks, but we got to deal with what what we have now. So it, I'm just happy to see him look like a consistent, good contributor because he was like Zadine in the sense that some more pucks should have fallen for him that didn't. So the fact that he got essentially a freebie today was nice to see because he hadn't been getting many of those and he hadn't had any luck on the chances he did have. So he's got a couple goals in his last handful of games. And yeah, he's, he's always going to be a Cy Young candidate because he has almost no playmaking ability. Um, but if he's shoveling in the goals when, you know, the Gagne's, the Ryan's, the Zadina's of the world are creating them, perfect. I'm happy. Uh, yeah, the depth scoring came through. Nemesnikov had two assists. Glendening had two assists, including one beautiful threaded pass through literally three Tampa defenders uh, to a Johnny on the spot, absolute money one-time shot from Valtteri Filpula. That's a real thing. I'm not making a joke here. Filpula finished that like I wish some of the Red Wings best players would finish some of their opportunities this year. Um, I guess all that time on the on the bench or on the taxi squad really helped him keep keep him fresh. Do you think Philip Zadina saw a pass go through three defenders and hit someone right on the tape and he just snapped his stick on the bench? <laughs> no, I, I think Zadina watched that situation and said, hmm, maybe I could do better with my one-timers. Yeah, because it, but he just needs it to hit him, you know, in the stick. We're going to continue to disagree on this one, Brad, but I think we do need to move along. Uh, not a lot notable about the Florida game. The Red Wings lost a tough one in overtime, which I thought they might steal from Florida. Uh, two most notable things. Mantha had a very Mantha goal. Step of speed, breakthrough, and sniped it so easily. It looked like he just casually moved his stick and it just pinged top corner. Um that was nice to see. And that was off the, the back of a Rasmussen play where he used his body to protect the puck and move the puck down the ice, which is good. And uh, Giovanni Smith beat the hell out of a couple of Panthers. Like the beating he laid on Stillman was so satisfying. I don't really understand why the Panthers chose Detroit this year to just be utter dipshits with. Like Radko Gudas's hit, uh, Uyghur's hit. Like, and Gudas, like, was both of those guys were going after Giovanni Smith right away. And then. Um, I can't remember the, the first guy he fought, but then Stillman laid a hit on Larkin and Larkin came back and hit Stillman and then Giovanni Smith fought him right after and just slapped him around. Like, good on Stillman for staying in the fight for as long as he did because Giovanni <laughs> really beat him up. It's nice I love that having guy. that element. You don't, you don't need it all the time, but it's nice to have it when you do. Yeah, it's like the duality of hockey fans. Like, do I love... The do I love staged fights? No. Do I appreciate the Red Wings having a guy coming in and telling a much better Florida team who really shouldn't be, you know, getting this chippy with the Red Wings to piss off when they go after their best player? Yeah, I've, I've, I really appreciate Giovanni coming in and doing that. And also he he performs well on the ice for a fourth liner. So um, guy that I would advocate to stay in the lineup more often than not, especially when the spots are available. 
Speaking about staying in the lineup, let's talk about the news that happened. I think after it was after the Florida game. The Florida games and the Tampa Bay game uh, games. Evgeny Svechnikov went on waivers. And uh, the first reaction was, but why? Um, and then it was, it sucks because this is a guy who the who Red Wings fans, whether they're big believers in him or not, and like I honestly am not really was not coming into the season expecting much from Evgeny Svechnikov. You really like to root for the guy, and uh, he's done reasonably well this year. He's had some really strong games, had a couple poor games recently, but. You want to see him stick. And because of his age and his waiver situation, you know he's at risk every time he runs through those waivers. So I thought, why? And then I thought, yeah, no one's really getting claimed on waivers this year. And I would bet that Eisman has a realistic pulse on this that he's not going to get picked up. Or maybe they just don't. They have to take the They feel like they have to take the risk. Anyways, spoiler alert. He did clear waivers. No one put a claim in on him. Um, but that was a fun little conversation within Red Wings fandom for 24 hours. Yeah, it and I, I, I tweeted basically those thoughts when you when you said because, you know, Eisenman's not infallible. We're going to question stuff like that when it happens. And believe me, when I first saw that news break, I, yeah, my thought was what in the ever living hell? Um, Eisenman does have a good pulse on the league. It, there is a bit of a vibe like. GMs kind of said, hey, waivers, like, let's all make our claims early and then everybody's off limits so we can control our taxi squads. Because <laughs> um, there's there's been better players than Evgeny Svechnikov who have cleared. And Svechnikov, given his production this year and how young he is, any other year he's claimed a thousand percent. There's no question in my mind. I don't care how low you are on Evgeny Svechnikov. A 24-year-old former first-round pick who's at a half a point per game is getting claimed a hundred out of a hundred times any other year. So maybe there's a gentleman's agreement, but I think Eisenman's more likely scenario is he he saw some of the other names that have went through waivers and was like, yeah, it's a risk, but we'll be fine. So that's my defense of this move. That's where my defense of this move ends because it's a risk that shouldn't have been taken. I don't care if there's a gentleman's agreement. I don't care if you're confident that he wouldn't get claimed. He ended up being right. So of course I'm going to sit here with egg on my face, even though I'm already knowing the result, but I don't care. It was still a bad move. Um, Because, and I feel like I, every time I post anything about Svechnikov, I get the same responses. Oh, he's not a game changer. Who cares? This isn't going to move the needle. Why are you so rattled? Why are you even talking about this? Well, one, it's my job to talk about this, so I don't know why you would ever tweet that at me. Just read out my tweets. Uh, Honestly, but (laughs) it's my job to talk about this. So literally, yeah, don't be stupid if you're tweeting that too. I understand and have said on this podcast a thousand times, I understand Evgeny Svechnikov is not a needle mover. I understand that in all likelihood, at best, he's a third liner. I understand he's almost 25. I understand he has a bad knee. Spoiler, none of you are teaching me anything new when you tweet these things or when you yell at me these things or when you put them in whatever comments. I get it. 
But one of the best arguments I saw is someone compared some stats to a bunch of other bottom six guys on the Red Wings. It's like, yeah, he's got a bit more counting stats. But, you know, if you look at a Sam Gagne, if you look at this guy, if you look at that guy, their expected goals are pretty close. Um, You know, this stat's pretty close. This stat's pretty close. And and it's fair. And in a lot of cases, you know, Ty, like guys like Sam Gagne, he's the one who's coming immediately to mind. We're slightly better than Svechnikovs. And I'm like, okay, you're not wrong. But to me, the end of this argument should be, okay, well, if it's essentially a tie, tie goes to the guy who's seven years younger. Like, that that's not to say, too, that let's not forget, Franz Nielsen, Darren Helm, and uh, Val Fippler are all still here. Like, there's no argument to be made there. When those three guys are still here and we're waving Svechnikov, and if you're arguing for Sam Gagne over Svechnikov, despite being, I think, literally seven years older, I don't get it. I don't. Okay. If, if Svechnikov ends up sucking, who cares? He's a half a point per game guy. He's shown flashes and he's still relatively young. So I just I get he's not a needle mover, but to me, that shouldn't matter in this argument. Hear me out. Evgeny Svechnikov isn't a no, I'm kidding. Um so this is this is what I think might have happened. Svechnikov had a a few good games, a couple bad games is what it is. He wasn't playing a ton. Yes, that's in Blashill's control, but probably is gonna max out anywhere between eight and like thirteen minutes, whatever. Whether you dis or disagree or agree, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you have Bobby Ryan and Sam Gagne on the cusp of returning. And in the context of the trade deadline where the Red Wings have to advertise these players, they have to advertise the Mark Stahls and the the Bobby Ryans and even the Sam Gagne's and the Darren Helms. Like Helm is someone who I would have thought, wave him first. You know he's not going to be claimed, but you have to play him on the off chance that Ken Holland gives you a fourth round pick for him, right? Like you, you can't pass up that opportunity for a couple more games of, of Evgeny Svechnikov. Yeah, sure, you could have kept him scratched or or you could have sent Rasmussen back down. But what mess like like you've said, Brad, what message does that send? Rasmussen's been playing well. You can't do it to Ernie. Ernie's been playing the best hockey maybe of his career. And if this is a window where they thought we know Sveshnikov's not going to be claimed, teams don't want to deal with the the quarantine window. They don't want to deal with moving money in or or taking up a roster spot. Like this is just a good chance to to strike while the iron is hot and and move Sveshnikov to the taxi squad with the option of sending him down or bringing him back up. And then with the whole 30 day rule, he's essentially covered for the rest of the season. It's a lot of, it's a lot of mental gymnastics. Yeah. And like, for the most part, that's all reasonable. Like even as much as I, I think it's a pipe dream to think a team's even given up a sixth round pick for Darren Helm. Sure. You know, he pops off for a two goal uh, plus one assist game close to the deadline. You never know. Like, I, I I disagree with it, but I understand it. I mean, Val Philpola and Franz Nielsen played today. They're not getting traded. They're not getting claimed. Like, well, they played because Gagne and Ryan didn't come back. If Gagne and Ryan were back, they would have been out and that would have been fine. They yeah. were there as a low risk, like you play them or you don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I would kick that Svechnikov can down to the curb until literally it's like, okay, we don't have a choice because Svechnikov was the only player on waivers the day he was on. So it wasn't a timing strategy thing where he got lost in the shuffle. Again, this could all be moot because Eisenman could have been a thousand percent sure nobody was getting claimed or there was a gentleman's agreement or, or whatever, whatever you want to make of it. But then the argument here to kind of 
wrap up my point. Let's assume you're right about Darren Helm. Let's assume he does have one or two games going into the trade deadline where he puts up six points. Um, and a team comes along and offers his fifth or a sixth round pick. Okay, great. We know what the odds are of a fifth or a sixth round pick turning into even a somewhat regular NHLer are like 7%. That's not even a good NHLer. That's just like a, eh, he played maybe like parts of three or four seasons for you. I can, I would put a comfortable bet on the table that as limited as his ceiling uh, is, Evgeny Svechnikov is still more valuable than a sixth round pick. So ask yourself this Do you trade Evgeny Svechnikov straight up for a sixth round pick right now? I don't. So losing for nothing is even crazier to me. And if it's in the sense of trying to pump a guy like Darren Helm's trade value, it still doesn't carry water with me because it's just it still the ends don't justify the means. Are you guys done? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, until he gets waived again in a month. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll circle back in 31 days or 30 days at this point, I guess. Um. Yeah, I think you guys know how I felt about it. I was clearly surprised that he he got placed on waivers, especially on a day when he was the only person on the waiver wire. I thought for sure there'd be a team who would find at least some interest in him. Even Carolina, you know, just to unite the brothers. Like, it's a low-cap move, right? So I'm happy he didn't get claimed. Um yeah, I feel bad for the guy. Like, what the? What does he got to do to stay in the lineup and not get waved all the time? I think he's got to wait for one of these UFAs to get moved. Like, I think it's going to be at, until a Bobby Ryan or someone or a Sam Gagne gets moved, we won't see Svechnikov regularly in the lineup. Um, What is he, a half a point per game player right now in 10 games? So low sample size, but given what when you look at the stat sheet of the Red Wings this year, that's fairly good. <laughs> like <laughs> it puts up well ahead of a lot of players. So yeah, no, I, I'm glad he didn't get claimed. And I, I really do hope he can find some permanent position in the lineup post trade deadline. Um, Cause I think he, he rightfully deserves it the way, uh, the way he's played so far. You know what I think reality is it's somewhere between what Evan just said, which is, Evgeny's regular spot in the lineup is sometime next year when Eisenman has essentially a blank slate to work with because there's almost nobody signed through next year. There's just a ton of UFAs. And I think maybe it's just also the reality that this is what we appreciate about Steve, appreciate about Steve Eisenman, and it's maybe a double-edged sword in this situation, but he does not have the emotional attachment that fans do. He's shrewd, and he wants to avoid the path that led, leads us to what Ken Holland did with the, the last really segment of his career, which is make those emotional kind of roster decisions that were based on sentiment rather than production. Maybe Svechnikov isn't really that high up on Eisman's list. Yeah, small sample size of, of good performance included. He sees him ha- as a He's no longer really a prospect. This guy's 25, 26, whatever. Um, they know what he is, and he's useful while he's in the lineup as depth, but if they lose him, it's it is what it is. And Maybe the opinion of him, it just isn't that high. I think the reality sits between those those two. And that's and that's fair. And I I, I think to a, obviously he waived him. So to an extent we know you're right in some capacity. Um 
But then that's him plainly admitting he sees more value in Philpola, Nielsen, Gagne, so on and so forth. And I just, I, I, I that's plainly true. disagree with that. I, there's, there's no, again, it's fine. Like, again, Philpola and Nielsen are immaterial in this, though. You can't include them. They're there just okay. as a placeholder. Okay. Well, Helm, Glenn Denning is going to have trade value, and that's a spot for Svechnikov when he goes. But like you said, there is infinity UFAs here. UFAs, for the most part here, outside of maybe three or four, are going to have no future with this team. And as much as we want to use the Bobby Ryan and Sam Ghani arguments, yeah, when they come back. But one, they're not back yet. And two, teams know who Sam Ghani and Bobby Ryan are. If Bobby Ryan plays one game before the deadline, no team's going to balk at saying, oh, maybe Bobby Ryan fundamentally changes a player in those four weeks. So... I just, I just, I can't wrap my head around willing to lose a 24 year old who's at least somewhat productive in the name of keeping Helm and all these other guys around. I just, I, I can't come to grips with it under fully understanding that Svechnikov isn't all that good in the grand scheme of things. It's just the, he's better than most of these guys and he's a ton younger than them. It just, it doesn't compute in my brain even though like i said ryan your logic about what eiserman is thinking is probably spot on <laughs> so it it makes me think that there's conversations going on with other teams and other gms yes. where there's noise around these older ufas and nobody's talking about svechnikov which is completely fair because they're less familiar with him so that makes me think you know he's getting phone calls about these ufas and he's just like well, if I expose them, they're gone for sure because people have been asking me about them. Whereas Sveshnikov, he's, you know, nobody's really calling and it's a risk I'm willing to take. Annoyingly, as usual, Evan's right. And I think that's what what it comes down to. Also, I'm giving Brad a hard time here. At the end of the day, I agree. I also wasn't a fan of the move. I would have preferred that it not have been made and not have been risked. But it was like a half second of, really? And then it was, yeah. Really, what Evan just said is is what it boils down to. Anyways. And let's not forget, teams are so tight to the cap right now that uh, Vegas had to play with 10 forwards and 60 because they literally ran out of cap space to dress a full lineup. Like, that's, that's like actually the- a thing that happened in the NHL this year. So, like, we can sit here and say, oh, Svechnikov's contract's 850K. Any team could eat it. R- the reality is, no. There's enough teams that that could that it still renders my argument like valid in my mind but but still there are enough teams that can't take that small of a contract right well that's why i was surprised carolina didn't because they've got two roster spots they've got five contracts available and they've got seven and a half million in cap space available so you know clearly we think very too highly of of svechnikov I, I'm not I'm not usually the first one to throw a tinfoil hat on, but I do get the sense there's at least some sort of like code or there a hundred percent is like hundred percent that like we're gonna pass a lot of guys through waivers this year. Like obviously we all need the roster flexibility and a flat cap. So like let's all uh let's all chill here because I mean Goss Despair, you know, he had two years left, but any other year he gets claimed. 
Um, you know, Jake Gardner going through waivers. There's been some players that have went through waivers that didn't get claimed that were way more surprising to me than even the Josh Hosang one is the one we talked about. Yeah, quite a few times. I think has he been? How many times has he been waived? Twice, maybe. And I think we talk about it every single time because yeah, he's a key guy who needs a new place to play, and I, I think there's at least some he'd he'd be worth taking a look at. Carolina's current starting goalie and statistically one of the best goalies in the league this year went through waivers this season unclaimed. So yeah, there, there's didn't Ottawa's goalie gone. Didn't what's their goal? Who's their goalie? Forsberg. Didn't he go through waivers? Yeah, but he got like been nine on. times. Yeah, so I don't. I don't. This is why I don't understand anything this year. Like I get it, flat cap. Nobody has any money. Everybody's tight for cap space. But still, yeah. Unless you're Jim Benning taking Toronto's players, 100%. Like, everyone knew coming in. Like, you didn't have to listen far to know that there was going to be really good players coming through waivers. I genuinely think this the same kind of unspoken, yeah, we're not going to do this to screw you over agreement that kind of comes with uh, offer sheets and RFAs, which drives me and a lot of other fans nuts, is happening with waivers this year. It's not written down anywhere. No GM will ever admit it. But these are just professionals who don't. Who know that everyone's in a tough spot with both the cap and real dollars. So there's probably a personal element to this, and that's why we're not seeing these players get claimed. So less fun for the fans, but it's it's them trying to maintain some kind of like they're trying to offset the chaos that's being caused by by the COVID flat cap and everything like that. Uh very quick. We had the transition from Fox Sports Detroit to Bally Sports Detroit. Great. Same Ken and Mick and, and the crew that we all know and love. The score bug, which is a new phrase for me. I've heard it a couple of times, but it's really kind of stuck for all the wrong, wrong reasons. It's where you see the scoreboard. Fox Sports Detroit, top left corner. Nice, clean, simple. Bally Sports is the entire width of the screen, which I already think is not necessary. On the bottom, which drives me nuts because the way hockey is shot, the top is always stands, which is useless for a viewer. And the bottom is often the ice in the play, or at least a good portion of it. It's raised, so there's negative gray space on the bottom, and then the actual scoreboard or score bug. So it's covering the play, and then there's a shot counter that opens up into the negative gray space. Just kidding, it doesn't. It opens up even higher into the frame of the shot. It it just it sits there, and it exists to drive you insane. I actually thought it was an April Fool's Day prank. And this is across of all of Bally Sports's, uh, um uh, networks. So if anyone from Bally Sports is listening, hey, look, nothing against you. It's not personal. I wish you all the success in the transition from Fox Sports to Bally Sports. Congratulations. Great. Amazing. I promise you the first good things you can do for the viewers, move that thing to the top. If it must be the full width of the screen, move it to the top. But I encourage you to look at what NBC and what Fox Sports did. Just put it at the top left. That's it. Make it simple. Do not cover the play it might work for baseball it does not work for hockey it's at uh the the stetcher slap pass to ernie i think it was um stetcher got destroyed at the blue line before dumping the puck in i didn't see the hit because it was covered by the freaking ticker of baseball scores i don't care about baseball scores while i'm watching hockey i haven't seen the nhl one yet so i tried to look it up right now on google and this is also occurring in the baseball world, apparently. And yeah. I did get a chance to see. They have two iterations of their 
um, we'll call it the scoreboard. And one is just a horizontal line across the screen. And there's this big gray bar that takes up almost 50%. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure what that is. But then the other one I think is worse. It's, you know, the normal card. It looks like a, a business card, but like half of like almost 10% of it is an ad and there's just information everywhere. So yeah, is the hockey one as bad as that? Uh, I'll send you a picture of it right now. It's oh, it's really there is a post on the Red Wings subreddit as well. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it's, like all sports fans are coming together against this. It's one thing that every sports fan across all hockey teams and all baseball teams and anyone else who's watched it, almost everyone agrees with it. So yes. hopefully that gets changed soon. The picture you just sent me is exactly what the first one I described on the baseball feed is like. Yeah. I it's almost like you don't know which team is playing. It's a business decision because I think they're going to use that gray space for like betting lines because Bally Sports is a like a casino company or Bally's mm. a casino company mainly. And like, yeah, whatever, you got to promote your stuff, sure, but just stick it at the top. Just put it at the top. Anyways. Keep it simple. Anyways, I'm not going to subject everyone to my whining for much longer. Um, Let's jump into some of the fun stuff, which is our continuation of the 2021 NHL Draft Prospect Profile Series. Um, Again, we are going to be doing these every episode leading up to the draft. And because it's so early right now, the people we're covering, we are going to be doubling back on. So as we get more information and as we review more footage and tapes and and get more insights, we are going to be expanding on these. But for now, uh, today's draft profile sentiment from the University of Michigan, because I think we've just been on a Michigan tear because that's fun. Uh, Maddie Beneers. Brad, take it away. Matthew Beneers. Um, an interesting prospect in the sense that he's kind of like Owen Power, where we all know he's good. There isn't anybody out there who's saying, yeah, Matt Beneers is not worth a top 10 pick. It's pretty universal because the baseline of what he is is tremendous. The question with him is, how good is his good? Um, it's the same argument we've had we've had with Owen Power, and actually, t- I'll dive into it in a bit here. There's two Red Wings um, current prospect who remind me a lot of Matt Beneers. So this is going to be an interesting case study because Beneers is your prototypical two way, hardworking uh, center with good all around toolkit, but no elite offensive skill. Now we've had conversations like this about prospects before the one that comes to mind from last year was Marco Rossi where we had to keep reiterating yes we are talking about him as a good two-way centerman and we know the quote-unquote stigma attached when you use that term and I want to be clear that is not the case here two-way center usually means good defensively limited offensive upside limited skill that's not the case with Beneers here He has good skill. He has good offensive upside. He was a point-per-game player at Michigan as a freshman. That's not nothing. He was was the second-line center as an 18-year-old for the gold medal-winning Team USA at the World Junior Championships. That's not nothing. So it's easy to write this guy down as, yeah, he'll be like a middle-six center and... 
you know, he'll play your PK, a bit of your power play, and he'll be good at five and five. But uh, is he going to win any major awards? No, probably not. But we've known this is a weak draft. I don't think anybody in this draft is winning any major awards one day. Uh, the best major award likely to come out of this draft might be Wallstead with a Vesna, but that's another conversation. Um, but if, if you want to go through history of prospects we're a little more familiar with because obviously Marco Rossi's trajectory has been kind of thrown for a loop um, with his COVID issue and not knowing how his season turned out this year. To me, Matthew Beneers, in terms of skill set, style of play, and what we can expect is somewhere between Joe Valeno and Dylan Larkin. He could, to me, his best case scenario is Dylan Larkin. And normally, I would not advocate for taking Dylan Larkin first overall in a draft, again, if it were a normal draft. This draft, if you get a Dylan Larkin out of it, you're doing really damn good because there doesn't seem to be a Leon Dreisaitl or a David Pasternak or a Braden Point in this draft. So you got to take what you can get. And Matt Beneers might be the best player in this draft, but he could also be a Joe Valeno where you're hoping at best for second third line center that is also a very much a possibility with him um the fact that he's done this at the world juniors in the ncaa does lead me to believe this isn't a fluke this does lead me to believe he'll be able to work up levels and still play his game and play it effectively i hate cliches but i use them way too much he has a pro style game so you know you look at a guy like ken johnson and we're like he's and I'll argue he's easily the most talented player in this draft on just a pure skill level. But yeah, I can see questions about how his game translates to the NHL. I don't really have those same concerns with Beneers. There is no style concerns at all. It's just, is he talented enough to be a significant contributor in the NHL? He's a good skater, great skater, phenomenal skater, works his edges well, good north-south speed. He's got an all right shot. He's got all right hands. He's got all right vision and he battles his ass off. He competes like a Dylan Larkin and a Joe Valeno does, which is great to see. So he's fascinating in the sense of, hey, where's he going in the draft? Because normally guys like Beneers, you don't talk about it first overall in a normal year. Uh, B, he's a center. So everybody, every team has a need. We've seen teams reach for centers in the draft constantly. And C, it is a direct position of need for the Red Wings, which for our standpoint specifically makes this all the more interesting when we're talking about him. Yeah, Beniers is someone who not really in terms of skill set, the sexiest pick in the world. Um, But if you consider the makeup of the Red Wings in the future, and this is because they just have not been able to win, you know, this number one superstar center through draft lotteries. Their strength coming up through the pipeline is mostly on the wings. Their strength right now is really on the wings. Their only star center they have is Dylan Larkin. And Dylan Larkin has proven that he can play as a number one center in the NHL. But if you want to be a competitive team, you need at least one other Dylan Larkin behind him in terms of center depth. Will Joe Valeno end up being Dylan Larkin? I don't know. I wouldn't put money on it because that's a high bar to set. But you do need more there. Compete shouldn't be something that moves a a prospect to the top of the order in my mind, but compete com- uh, coupled with 
really, really high level skating, which I think Beniers has, and an aptitude for playmaking, which I think Beniers has. Like, if this is a guy who can turn into a prototypical, he might not be the flashiest player in the world, but he works his ass off, he skates super well, and he can elevate the wingers around him. That does theoretically mesh with what the Red Wings need. You can't really count as the Red Wings to win a Shane Wright or like a Connor McDavid centerman in the future. So if you can get a Beniers to to play one-two center with Dylan Larkin and elevate your Lucas Raymonds and elevate your Philip Zadinas and elevate whoever whatever other wingers you pick up with your your upcoming draft picks, that would, like you said, Brad, that's a direct position of need. I'm not a big fan of his shot, but if he puts on some strength, you know that kind of release time and the strength behind the shot that can improve. And and there have been small flashes throughout the season where he has kind of scored, shown a little bit of a scoring touch. So maybe it's there. Um, but yeah, in general, this guy is a great skater, works his ass off, moves the puck up and down the ice. He retains possession, exits and entries. Like he's really, really good at that. Some of the best, you know, statistics in, in NCAA hockey in that regard. And, and that's great. So if the Red Wings are drafting, you know, four to seven range and Beniers is there and he's looking to play out like that kind of prototypical player, I think that's a good fit. I just always laugh when Beniers gets brought up for the Red Wings because it it brings me back to every conversation that we've had with could the Red Wings win a Stanley Cup with Dylan Larkin as their number one center? And then we argue, well, maybe if we had two Dylan Larkins, monkey paw curls <laughs> we're gonna find out because <laughs> that like but keep in mind to me dylan larkin's veneer's ceiling i don't see him being better or more effective than a larkin because i know you said you don't like his shot and i don't either but you know who else has shot i really don't like at an nhl level dylan larkin so you can be effective with a with a relatively poor shot um because again, skating and compete, you can make things happen with skating and compete. As, as simplistic of a view as that is, you can. That's reality. It's just you can do that on the third line and it's harder to do that on the first line. But if his hands run out, his playmaking runs out and it all rounds up to essentially what happened with Larkin. Amazing. Now, at the same age at Michigan, Larkin's counting stats were better than Beneers. So you know, take that for whatever it's worth. But I do think Beniers has a higher ceiling than hypothetically a Joe Valeno. And I was very high on Joe Valeno in his draft year. We can talk all we want about Joe Valeno. Now I had him at number, I think 11 on my rankings um, going into the 2018 draft. And if I dropped Matt Beniers into that draft, I probably have him somewhere from seven to 10. So it's still a pretty good comparison for me going into the draft and where Valeno was at at the point of the draft versus where Beniers is. At this point now. So, and it is also complicated by the fact Beneers is a late birthday. He's an O2, so he's an quote unquote overager going into this draft. But in a year where chaos reigns for the draft, having these overagers and having the two and a half to three years of viewings does help. So we we can talk about, you know, this and that, but the reality for Beneers with me boils down to He's been very good he, everywhere he's played, but he's never been elite. Even when he was at the USNTDP, he was really, really good in a weak USNTDP year. And uh, and his counting stats definitely were hurt by not having a, a great supporting cast around him. 
but he wasn't the guy kicking down the door for relevancy last year. And he going into this year, I didn't even see him in the top 10 in a lot of rankings. So obviously his performance this year certainly helped him. Um, and you know, you do like to see that improvement, but yeah, if, if, if for me, he's not an, a one overall guy, maybe not even a two overall guy in this draft, but it's, he's also a guy wherever the Red Wings pick, if they take him, I'm, whether that's one, two, three, four, or nine, I'm not upset about it. I'm not going to be whining, crying. Oh my God, how could they? They pick him at two. I'd sit there and go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Evan, any stone left unturned by Brad there? Well, what else is there left to say? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, with the information we've had so far on the prospects available in the top 10, from what I've looked at, I think he might be the best two-way uh, forward in the draft right now. I might be bold to say I haven't really watched a whole lot, but I actually don't even think that's a controversial statement at all. I, I agree. Okay, good. A thousand percent. <laughs> I just I just said it as a bold take. Hopefully, it, <laughs> it turned out all right. Um, yeah, like his skating is is really really good. Um, he's got good. He, he's the opposite of I think last week when we talked about Ken Johnson right last week. Yeah. And I said, he's a little too flashy for my taste. Matt Veneers is the opposite of that. He just seems to, you know, have all the fundamentals down. There's not really any flash, but there doesn't need to be. Um, he's a good skater. He's a good playmaker. He's got a decent shot. Um, he's the type of guy you could throw anywhere in the lineup in any situation. And if he turns out to be a top line center, Matt Barzell, like that's a that would be insane, but it, or if he turns out to be a like a really hard checking third line center, I mean you probably don't want that with your first or second overall pick, but he could fit that role too. So if you're looking for a a can like a surefire pick and like he could play anywhere in the lineup at the NHL level. So if he was in any other draft, he might fall down lower, but. But, you know, given the uncertainty of all the prospects this year and, and, and scouting, he's one of those guys where it's you can't really miss. Like he's still he's six foot two. He's got room to fill out. Like, I think he's almost certainly going to be in, a, in the top nine, probably in the top six of, of any team that picks him. So why don't we just take both Kent Johnson and Matthew Beneers and just tape them together? And then you got the perfect. I agree. Hockey player right there. I Look agree. I think salt. that's actually Pavel Datsuk. <laughs> Something like that. There, I, like I was watching highlights of Beniers, and for some reason he reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Taves. I don't know what it, why it is, but I just get like this Jonathan Taves vibe about him. Yeah, which would be really nice. That's don't a hate that. Good one. Yeah. Um, it's There's only one Jonathan Taves, but you know, if if he could be remotely close to that, that would be pretty good. Right now, there isn't even that. So also true um it's funny as we do these we keep setting dylan larkin as this like prototypical benchmark for a guy who's not a superstar but a guy who's not just like a good player like he's somewhere in between and it's important to note that that is purely just for like broad concept conversations dylan Larkin's actually a very unique player in that he's not like a superstar center but he's a star center in a lot of ways and he does think he, he doesn't fit a typical mold so there's a lot of generalizations for the sake of argument or discussion when we talk about larkin it's not to pigeonhole him yeah i use larkin because we're a red wings pot podcast i know you all understand dylan larkin we could be having 
this exact conversation about Matt Beneers, but I'll take out Dylan Larkin and you, Sean Couturier. That like was we, another one we could I was have thinking that about. Yeah, we could have that same conversation. Just take Larkin out. Stylistically, a little different, but it would all apply to Sean Couturier as well. So I'll I'll ask you this guy, you guys, this question: Do you think Mark Scheifele is a superstar? Yes. No. Well, you guys have the floor. <laughs> Consistent top ten in scoring, two way elite player. Like there's to me, there's not a great argument for him not being a superstar. I don't think he's a. I think he's dropped off quite a bit. Has he not? Uh, he's been over a point per game once, but he's also been a point per game player once. So twice he's been point per game or better. Last I saw, he was. Mind you, I haven't checked the NHL standings. I'm looking now. Like as of he's over two weeks so ago, far. he was like top ten in league scoring. I don't think he's a two way player, Brad. Like he, I'm looking at his defensive zone numbers just to confirm what I thought here, and he's kind of a black hole defensively right now in terms it, of like shot generation suppression. Hold on. So Evan, what? My, what? Evan, my one thing was, I'm curious what you're talking about though, because he's been over a point per game for the last five years. Yeah, Evan. Uh, sorry, I assumed he just played 82 games every year. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, he's um, uh, he's been at least, if not more, than a point per game for the last five years and now the stat you're looking at ryan defensively is that isolated or is that overall impact because his team is a black hole defensively so (laughs) i think that's gonna work against anyways my point was gonna be um if you've got mark (laughs) shifley yeah what was my point um if you've got mark shifley and you've got pierre luc dubois and then I guess, you know, they have Paul Stastny. Um, you can build a very strong center core without having an, a, a, you know, a top 10 center in the league. But 100%. You know, who knows if my point's even valid anymore. I'll just, you know, we'll just continue if, along. If we're talking comparisons to comparisons, to me, Mark Shifley is clearly a better player than Dylan Larkin, if not by yeah. much. Okay, I'm I saying like, that. I'm not saying, you know, apples to apples. I'm just saying like, if you're going to build a team without a true superstar centerman, you could have something similar with like what Winnipeg does. But let's make Mark Shifley not a point yeah. per game player. <laughs> so Mark Mark, Mark Shifley is currently fifth in league scoring. So yeah, I'll take that uh, you know, for whatever I, it's worth. <laughs> do, does, you, you know what I'm trying to say, though, right? Like, yeah, no, I get yeah. the point. Yeah, like if you, you have can, a bunch of really s- strong one B centermans playing throughout your lineup, like. That's also very good, a good way to build a team. Yeah. My answer to what you're getting is if Dylan Larkin, Matt Beneers, and Joe Valeno are the Red Wings three centers, could I see them being a contender? The answer is yes, but then a lot has to go right at the other positions. Lucas Raymond has to hit. Philip Zadina has to hit. Jonathan Bergeron has to hit. Mo Sider, Albert Johansson, that you have to hit at these positions. But yes, you can do it. Yeah, I, I would have no if Matt Beniers ended up being the third line center. Like, I think that'd be terrific because you know you can put him anywhere in uh, in any situation, and I think he would be a good fit. Is he a modern day Darren Helm? I don't think so. But <laughs> no, you never. Know. He has more skill than Darren Helm. We can comfortably say that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, Brad. Um, I should say I, I like. I agree. Shifley's better than Larkin. I would put them in that same kind of middle tier between superstar and really good player you know that kind of star tier star with the super in front but that might be selling mark shifley short um 
Great point to bring up, Evan. Just one last story here before we jump into overtime. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, they are going to be a big test case for the NHL as to what is going to happen when things go wrong with regard to COVID because it is going wrong. More than half of this team has tested positive. A lot of them are symptomatic. So it's not just like asymptomatic and it's not just like <clears throat> minor symptoms. Like these guys cannot play hockey. They are Some of them apparently can't even get out of bed, fatigue, dehydration, really intense symptoms. And I'm, I'm quoting Emily Kaplan here from ESPN. Um, some guys are receiving IV treatments at home for severe dehydration. Um, more than half of the team, uh, multiple coaches, at least three of them, family members. And a lot of them have the uh, the, the tougher uh variant that started in brazil as well which apparently hits harder so you know the 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 nhl is coming up on the last month of the regular season schedule here there's gonna have to be a lot shifted around the canucks are a team that is in the conversation um for the playoffs they're gonna have to figure out what to do here and they're gonna have to figure out what went wrong where this kind of went rampant throughout the team because it's not a good situation in vancouver right now well, yeah, because when Gaudette tested positive, they were going to play that game that night. And could you imagine how catastrophic that would have been? Obviously, common sense prevailed. I think it was about 40 minutes before the game. Maybe more test results came back. I, I don't know. But yeah, there's there's been some conflicting reports because I did read a report today that someone was saying, yeah, a couple guys are getting hit pretty hard. But for the most part, the guys are fine. Like Travis Hamannick and his family are, are asymptomatic. They're fine. Um, so, it, but Nobody really knows, at least not in the public sphere. But yeah, this has got to be the biggest concern the league's had this year because A, we're getting close to playoffs. There's a month to go. We're less than two weeks out to the trade deadline. There's not a lot of room to juggle the schedule anymore because it's already been juggled so much. Things are running tight. Team games are running past that original May 11th deadline. The NHL is still saying Vancouver's probably going to finish out their season, which to me is fucking crazy um vancouver is not in the playoff race i don't care what anybody says um they are far enough out of it that i don't care if they play another game this year use their point percentage to determine their draft lottery odds i would be a thousand percent just sure you plan for finishing the season but i would prepare everybody for like hey Vancouver's probably going to be a points percentage team when the season wraps up so get used to that and plan for that that is something to monitor and keep an eye on. It's probably a situation that's going to extend past at least next episode. I think the return to play date was planned for uh, this coming upcoming Thursday. It's Sunday right now, but that's expected to be pushed back. Anyhow, uh, let's jump into overtime here. Uh, and overtime on this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast is sponsored by the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, a partner who we are thrilled to work with as they are the number one sportsbook in America. Um, they are easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. You get your money back in as quick as 24 hours with withdrawals and they have a lot of great deals and odds boosts. More on that in a second. Let's jump into our, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook picks segment. I should find a name for the segment, which is really just called Evan and I flounder while Brad ends up being the most right out of all of us, which is quite annoying. Whoever is keeping a tally of this, please let us know if you have a scoreboard going. I thought I've made some decent picks, but apparently Brad has us both beat so far. No, I I have no idea about previous picks. I know I kind of half paid attention to my picks from last episode. So if you count the over under from a game and who wins the game is two separate bets. We made six picks last week. I went four for six. 
That's not bad. If Detroit make- had pulled that off in overtime, I was five for six. Um, but yeah, I was. I, I think I got the over under right in two games, and I got two of the winners correct. So I think the one game I nailed was, um, oh, what was it? We did Pittsburgh, Boston. I got Pittsburgh right, but I got the over under wrong. Same with. Uh, with Detroit, Florida, I got the over under right, but I got the team wrong. And the other one I, th- I went two for two on, but I can't even remember what that game was. I have no idea who I picked or what. So let's, uh, let's do some more now. Two of the hottest teams in the NHL, Colorado and Minnesota. Colorado. Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota at home, Colorado, the heavy favorite. You guys are both going Colorado. Absolutely. I'm I've made go McKinnon on my fantasy team. So I will, you know, I have to let everyone know that but i'm still taking colorado <laughs> colorado's on a heater and when you look at their underlying metrics they're somehow even better than they've been playing kareel kaprizov kills your dreams and that's what i'm going to go for for the underdog money here oh absolutely you do that i'll put him up against nathan mckinnon over under at five and a half which do you take man this, this is actually hard uh because cam talbot's been on a bit of a heater as well lately which is yes, relevant so i'll take Colorado and the under because Colorado has strong defense as well and can win whatever way they want. And Philip Grubauer has been on a heater the last two weeks or so. So I'm taking the under, even though I think Colorado can score goals in bunches. That's just, this is how I'm feeling on this one. Okay. Ottawa, I'm going to go Minnesota in the under here. Um, this is a case where I'm not going to try to push people to take the underdog money. The Winnipeg Jets have been playing good hockey. Ottawa is Ottawa. Winnipeg is a a massive, massive favorite here, but I think that's a safe bet. I'm I'm taking Winnipeg in the uh, let's go Winnipeg in the under set over under set at six and a half. Six and a half. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I was ready to smash the over on this game till it was six and a half. Well, when you have a superstar like Mark Shifley, you're generally going to be the heavy favorite. So. I am going to take Winnipeg, and because with Ottawa this season, chaos reigns, and when you're fifth in the league in scoring like Mark Shifley, I'm still going to smash that over. Winnipeg in the over. I'm taking Winnipeg, although I betting against Ottawa sometimes is just a scary thing to do because for some reason they'll play the best game of the year right when you least expect it. But i, I got to take Winnipeg. I'll take the over. Like Detroit kicking the shit out of Tampa twice this year. Yes, it doesn't make any sense, but it happens. Vegas visiting St. Louis as the favorites on the road over (laughs) that fast. St. Louis is almost falling out of a playoff spot. Arizona is hot on their heels. Arizona. Yeah, that's a thing. St. Bennington, I have zero confidence in him. If you want to ask me who the most overrated player in the league is in my mind, it's Jordan Bennington. Um yeah, and Vegas has not been talked about nearly enough for just how good they've been this year. That game where they had to, they had to play too short because they still almost won that game. They only lost because of Cam Talbot's previous previously mentioned heater. St. Louis has lost six in a row. Golden Knights have lost three in a row. I would suspect that Vegas would get their act together quicker than St. Louis would. So. I like Vegas. Mark is Flurry in net still for them, or is Laner playing more regularly? Um, he's back, Flurry's so like- I think it's been kind of a platoon, but mostly Flurry. 
Yeah. Flurry's like a heart candidate this year. Pretty yeah, yeah. It is. And I don't know. Look, I like, a, I like a lot more what's going on in, in Vegas right as, right now and over the whole year than what I like, what I've liked in St. Louis. And two of those three losses were again, literally just due to running into a hot goalie. So it's not that Vegas has even been playing all that poorly. So yeah, I'm, I'm smashing the Vegas one on this one. All right. Let us know how you do with our picks. If you do, uh, on the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. Again, that's the FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in colorado 1-800-BETS-OFF in iowa 1-800-9-WITHIN in indiana 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey pennsylvania illinois and virginia tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 www.1800gambler.net in west virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in michigan all right overtime let's take some questions starting with our patrons Ah, this is some good news from Jake Jarvis, our good friend. He says, I just received my cider jersey uh, that Jake won in a Winged Wheel podcast giveaway sponsored by uh, our very own Everett at Born to Dan Hart on Twitter. Go follow him. Uh, he says, thanks again, guys, and uh, and Everett. It looks sweet. Can't wait to see the real deal at the LCA next season. Jake, you have to do us all a favor and post some pictures. Uh, Jacob Charlip says, hope all is well and congrats on the house, Evan. Should wins like today and the overall improvements from last year make us feel better about our chances of avoiding the Buffalo slash Edmonton type cultures? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. We, we talk a lot about not being the Buffalo, but being the Buffalo is pretty rare. <laughs> it's there, it's notable that we can talk about a Buffalo and an Edmonton and we're not talking about this every time a team rebounds. Uh, Jake Nagy says, I think the only thing more miraculously than ri- miraculous than rising from the dead is the fact that the Red Wings just beat the defending Stanley Cup champs 5-1. Happy Easter. Uh, Aaron Hudson says, hey guys, congrats on the house, Evan. Have to take wins like today with a pinch of salt, but nice to get the win. Also Mark Stahl for the Norris. <laughs> I like the level-headedness there and then the complete launch into Mark Stahl truthism. Uh, Stevie Langerman says, Hey gents, what a game feels good to get the big win in Tampa. Uh, I wanted to share that yesterday I bought my first big boy vehicle, a 2021 Chevy Colorado insane greatest vehicle I've ever owned, been saving for years and couldn't be more stoked. Only thing missing is my wings decal, which arrives tomorrow. So what's your favorite car you've ever had? And what's your dream car? <laughs> uh, my Mazda CX-5 that I'm currently driving is the next vehicle with gas, I've ever owned. The one with a full tank of gas and fresh tires. Yeah, I'm I'm that uh I there's a ton of cars I love, but like when it comes to cars I own, I'm that reasonable. I want something cheap, cheap on gas. I'm not buying new, I'm buying new used, trying to save every goddamn dollar I can. And for most of my life up until a few years ago, I drove nothing but pieces of shit. So <laughs> take that for whatever it's worth. Uh um, yeah. What was it? My my one of my favorite cars, just because there's some sentimental value. I might get the year wrong, but my dad, for a while when I was younger, had I want to say it was a '69 GTO, and I loved that thing. So if I ever get into the buying old cars, dream cars, that's probably the one. Um, I'm really bad at this dream car question because there's a million that I would like. I don't know an Audi R8 that would be cool. Lamborghini, Ferrari, Ferrari. I thought for sure you're going to say something pretentious like a Tesla. 
I have someone asked that like, years ago, and that's what I said. I don't know. I was I couldn't think of anything on the spot, and I got roasted by you guys and the comments. So I just want a nice Kia Forte, you know. <laughs> it's a solid vehicle. Anyway, I drive four doors, couple airbags. You know, that's all I want. I've had a Hyundai Elantra for five and a half years. I've had to put zero repairs into it, knock on wood, and it costs thirty dollars in gas a week. It's everything I've ever wanted. Those are the best yeah. cars to have. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Bohan says, uh, hello, my lovely dub dub boys. Mark Stahl and Darren Helm scored in the same game. The end is nigh. What's your biggest regret seeing as we clearly don't have long left on this planet? Uh, I have never punched Brad as hard as I really can. I punched him. What a coincidence. That was going to be my thing except for you. (laughs) Evan's going to be like, Evan's going to say that he listened to us for this long and didn't just kill us and take over the podcast. No, Evan's thing is he wants to hit you with me. (laughs) If I could could do that, I would. (laughs) You are small enough, Brad. Yeah, I Uh, I still feel like I weigh more than you, though. Probably. You do have dad strength that does have to sit somewhere. (laughs) Brad has big uh, mini bats from Comerica Park vibes. That's his stature. (laughs) (laughs) Jethro says, woo, the streak at Tampa is over. Stevie Y has risen on Easter Sunday. Uh, North Moto says, if you're not a star player and you're not taking penalties from time to time, you're not playing hard enough. Hypothetically speaking, would you prefer to suffer through four more years of rebuild, but have a longer run of playoff appearances or expedite the Iser plan to making the playoffs in two years, but with a shorter playoff appearance run? Obviously the first option. Yes, I agree because I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Eisenman's um, doing it almost painfully too properly. Says, happy Easter to you all. If you celebrate that, Ernie is shockingly competent and Fabry is tied for fourth best with game winning goals. Uh, I never remembered him being so clutch, but I'm thankful for the future for the first time. Only positive vibes from me today. Jake Kiefer says, comparison time. Who will be a better, uh, considered a better NHLer when all is said and done? So, quick shot answers here Eisenman versus Crosby. Sadly for us, Crosby. Uh, this will be said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, McDavid versus Crosby. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say Crosby will get it because of the pedigree for success. I don't think McDavid will have the success that Crosby had by the end. What this comes down to for me ultimately is do I think Edmonton's getting multiple cups? Because I think to some extent, McDavid's going to have success with Team Canada. He'll get his gold medals, whether it's the Olympics, you know, here, there, world championships, whatever. Um, Sid's got the golden goal. Uh, what is that now? Two gold medals, the golden goal. Yeah, I, I, I think McDavid at his peak is a better player than Crosby won at his peak. But when we look back at it, I think it's going to be Crosby. Crosby's ingrained in so much of hockey and Canadian hockey lore. It's going to take a lot for McDavid to 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 beat that. Like it, it's tough, which is crazy to say, but I think it's tough. And McDavid versus Ovechkin. That's a tough one because Ovechkin will go down as the greatest goal scorer of all time. But I still take Crosby over Ovechkin. So if it's close between Crosby and McDavid. But I think McDavid. it's close between Crosby and Ovechkin. Um, I think so, too. Wait, what? Sorry, what's the overarching question? Who is going to be remembered as a better player when their careers are over? 
I think everybody knows that Crosby is a better player than Ovechkin, but Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of our time, right? But it's between McDavid and Ovechkin here. Oh, I think it'll go down where Connor McDavid is the better player, but Alex Ovechkin will be the greatest goal scorer of all time. Yeah, like, I mean, how much weight do you carry that? Because I'm pretty comfortable in saying almost already Alex Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer in the history of hockey. Like... Just just think of that statement. And if you're sitting there and saying you disagree with me, but you're kind of arguing in your head, the fact that that's even a conversation already carries so much weight. Like McDavid's not touching anybody's goals record. He's not going to touch any points records. He's going to win a bunch of MVPs, a bunch of Art Rosses. So again, I think with McDavid, it's going to come down to, is he going to get his cups? Is he going to get his gold medals? He's hardware bound at this point. Yeah, because if he doesn't, Crosby and Ovechkin have him. Uh, Ovechkin's got his cup. Ovechkin's got his Rocket Richards, his MVPs. Crosby, his Art Rosses, his MVPs. And I think a Rocket Richard. Yeah. Yeah. I hate, 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 hate using team stats to define a player. But when we look back at players from the past, whether it's a conscious bias or an unconscious bias, it's there. Because why does Marcel Dion not get looked at as one of the all-time greats with everybody else? Now think about that, because when you talk about top 10 players, you never even consider Dion. Now go look at his stats. Uh, next question here from Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, Again, I write to you from Ledscar outside Scarplinge in the municipality of Tierp in the Uppsala Lawn. This area is the area with the highest count of Viking runestones in Sweden. How about that? Sounds like you're one street away from the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. <laughs> uh, what surprised you the most? Stahl's goal, Grace's performance, Philpula's wrong-handed one-timer, or Juice using the Lidstrom off the backboard slap pass? Until next time, Skull, Tamas, Tamay fan. You, Lars. What surprised me the most? Philpula. He he shot the puck. That always surprises me. Yeah, that, that was a money one-timer. Uh, Dennis K says, on, on this day, the Lord and Savior of the Red Wings, Luke Lendenning, rose again. Pumping up that trade value. Thank you, Dennis. La Plata Peak says, I went into the season uh, thinking that 20 wins in 56 games would be a successful campaign. A month ago, I thought getting to that 20 was all but impossible. Do you agree with the sentiment that 20 games makes this year an overall success, or have I just been beaten down so badly that my bar has been lowered down as far as it is? I don't think that's a bad benchmark. I just want the the Red Wings at at about 70-point pace. That's the arbitrary line I chose. I I think we shouldn't be too married to those numbers because it's it's still going to be a tough, weird year. But as long as they're better than last year. um, Yeah. Yeah, I can't quantify the season because the things I'm watching to deem the season a success don't really have a lot to do with the end result. Zadina taking the step forward, he did success um seeing continued production out of a pleasant surprise like fabry success um a lot of the ufas that were signed looking like they're either a gonna get good trade value or b be multiple year solutions that's a success then you look at the other end of it they're consistently inconsistent that was the one thing we were hoping to get rid of this year they haven't if you do want to look at the record it's not where they should be um 
And then there's still a lot of question marks going into last year at, and going into next year at some key positions, i.e. goaltending. So that's not a success. So it's it's hit or miss depending what is what you deem to be the most important thing. Now, the overarching most important thing for me has been a great success because all of the Red Wings top prospects have exceeded expectations uh, by and large. So it's been a great year no matter what happens with the actual Red Wings. Uh, the worst person imaginable says story time was listening to the pod with my girlfriend and the smell like popcorn uh, story came up and all she did was stare at me because a while back I did that to her and that was the first time I had been done to her. So glad to know she'll continue to grief me for the next while. Hassam <laughs> al says want to give a shout out to Lars and Rowan for connecting me to Lars. He shipped me uh, Berger and Insider SHL jerseys. Hell yeah, Lars. That's amazing. Hassam, please post pictures. Uh, by Felicia says to take a, mer- a break from the movie podcast. What is the best boy band song? It has to go larger than life by the backstreet boys. Happily, ho- uh, happily holidays and stay well. All right. Uh, I grew up in this era, so I know all of them a little too well. And without overthinking it, there's two that immediately jump to mind. And these are the only two that should be in the conversation. It's bye, 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 by NSYNC. Or Backstreet's Back by the Backstreet Boys. I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys is also in there. Backstreet's Back's better. It was, it was a bigger banger back in the day. Uh, for whatever it's worth, The Call by Backstreet Boys, horrifically underrated. But anyways. <laughs> I have going to be your next spinoff podcast? I have, I have feelings about late 90s, early 2000s music. Anyways. Um, Brad Street's Back, the podcast. Let's I love go. it. That's the title right there. There it is. So there, Backstreet Back is the winner. That's the answer. Just for that uh, pun alone, that was a tiebreaker. English Major says, uh, wow, De- Tampa needs a defensive expert. We'll take one Hugo Asphalt for one Luke Glendening. Uh, I don't know who that prospect is, honestly. I think Tampa would be insane to make that <laughs> deal. So if they do it, I'm thrilled. Matt Whip says, hey, boys, love the content. Keep it up. Uh, first question, what is Berggren's ceiling? And is there any concern that Zadina is filling the net with pucks? Uh, also, what will be what will the Wings' best package re- be at the deadline that they'll receive from a trade? All right. So for me, Berggren's ultimate upside is good second line winger who can contribute at a pretty high pace on the first power play unit just because that suits his strengths. Uh, for Zadina, I'm generally a believer in your stats have to reflect what you do for me to deem you to be that level of player with few exceptions. Now, obviously if it's a prospect playing up in a league like the KHL and the SHL, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. So 99 times out of a hundred, if I look at a prospect of Zadina stature and I look at his stats this year, I'm writing them off as like a top line option. Zadina this year, watching him, he is the one out of a hundred because he has had horrific puck luck and has still made a ton of things happen has made a ton of plays that have led to goals like today but he didn't get an assist on it so i do think once he regresses to the mean his mean is still going to be very high and i forget the third part of the question but there's my oh and biggest package i think the only way the red wings get an actual if we're going to call it exceeds expectations return it's going to be a team that needs multiple pieces from detroit because i don't think they have anything right now that's getting a second round pick unfortunately just with the way this trade deadline shaping up hope i'm wrong but 
Yeah. State Fresh Cheese Bag says, hey there, fellas. The whole day has been a big laugh. I get some of my best memes made during these afternoon games and the NBC intermission crew scrambling to heap unexpected praise on Detroit uh, on their sloppy broadcast was priceless. Looking uh, way too early at free agency, there are only five guys I'd like to see Stevie attempt to sign. Any thoughts on Cedric Paquette, Philip Grubauer, Wayne Simmons, Alex Wenberg, or Dougie Hamilton? Um, I'm avoiding uh, Simmons, uh, Hamilton, and I forget the other one, like the plague. Uh, I would entertain Philip Grubauer, and I would entertain Alex Wenberg. Um, I also would like to throw in if Eisman wants to make a quote unquote splash. I don't think Nugent Hopkins is going to be all that as expensive as previously thought. I, I still would have to be very cautious with his contract, but I, I would look at him. Uh, finally, if I were Carolina or Florida, I'd be screaming at the league to look at the Nikita Kucherov situation. This is the type of cap circumvention the league should be trying to prevent. Honestly, they didn't do it with Chicago. If this is actually the case with Tampa Bay, and I'm I'm not terribly familiar with it, there's enough there where even if Tampa was up to something, they could point to the the timeline of the injury and say it's just how it shook out. Uh, they they could never nail them on anything solidly. And I'm Devin says, does Larkin maintain the average of the last three captains in terms of Stanley Cups? Uh, that'd be an insane expectation. Absolutely, it'd be Hope great. He does. But- not betting yeah. on it. Elite finisher Darren Helmstand says, Good day, Dud Duds, and fer- fellow Darren Helmstands. What an elite shot that blew past Hedman from between the uh, the Blotts blue line and center ice made the goalie look totally invisible for career num- goal number 111, which is 17 more than Anthony Pantha. Take that, Brad. He called you Rob Cop Show. Just wanted to drop by that let you know in lieu of watching whatever the wings were last week, I was sunning myself on a South Pacific island, swimming in the ocean, hiking in their national park, and generally stargazing and doing nothing. Hope you enjoyed whatever the hell is happening on your side of the flat earth. Jersey time. Wings aside, what other teams have a way better or have a better away jersey than home jersey? Interesting. So better white set. For me, Vegas. I like their whites a lot better than their grays, and I love their grays. Their whites are just unreal. I think that's a good answer. I think Vegas is a really strong answer. Uh, um, I dislike both their jerseys, but Anaheim's whites are better. Minnesota's? Would Minnesota's? I like both. Yeah. I, I would lean towards their whites, but it's not anything super crazy. I'll go for the Minnesota ways right now, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not coming up with any super obvious answers off the top of my head there. I'm generally in favor of like the home color jersey, but yeah, there's certain ones where just it's usually the weaker jerseys I find. Like it's more that the home jersey is weaker. Um, Okay, time for a couple questions here. Um, Nerf Airstrike Commander says, asked about the theory of is there an unspoken uh, rule or unspoken agreement between GMs about waivers, which I think we said to some degree there is, but there is a reply here from On Wings of Pastrami, uh, and they don't think so, and and I kind of want to read a little bit of their comment. Um, There's a lot that goes into a waiver claim. Claiming a player means putting one of your own guys through the process, and teams are pretty attached to their guys. Uh, There's also expansion draft considerations, contract limits, uh, and uh, other things like that. It's a pretty complicated process, so the implication that there's an unspoken agreement it kind of boils it down to maybe something that's too simple. And I think that's a fair assertion, honestly. 
Um, and also the point, there's usually a good reason why a player is put on waivers. I think this year that that is a little bit different than standard just because of the the, the restrictions that are put on teams. But no, that, that's a fair uh, rebuttal to maybe our opinion that there is to some degree spoken or otherwise and that kind of understanding. Um, what question do we have here? Um, Kakaroto 007 says, let's say the season ended today. If you factor in Seattle, Detroit would be in 27th place in the context of the draft. The wings could pick at fifth, but slide as low as seventh when Bill Daly is done with this totally legit, but super secret behind closed doors lottery. Yeah. There's a good chance Detroit gets, gets pushed down here. And that's why we're talking about guys from like one to nine, like Detroit could really be anywhere. Great year to not have to worry about it where there's not a big difference between the picks one to nine in terms of the prospects. Yeah. Uh, and one more count. Oh, this is a fun one from let's go red wings. 59 says fun fact. Even if the red wings lose every game for the rest of the season, we will still finish with a high, a higher points percentage than last year. So that's good to know. Oh, that's also horrifying. And I should give credit here to uh, Rick Mann, who said, who actually made the same comment, but better than I did at the start of the episode, didn't realize. Says nobody, and I mean nobody, beats the Wings 18 times in a row in Tampa Bay. Uh, we have time for one Twitter question here that we got, um, and I will tell you who it's from in just a minute. Um, Brendan Dillaway asks, who is the coach of this hockey team next season? <laughs> Does anyone want to actually answer that? I'm thinking, um, I would say Gerard Gallant, but I feel like that would have already happened. Like, okay. If I'm, if we're talking, who do we think? Not like, you know, I would like to cherry pick Ricard Gronberg or, you know, maybe if I had, if you were forcing me to put a 20 on the table and say, who is it going to be? My answer is Jeff Blaschel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, money down. I would say Jeff Blaschel too. I hate that. I hate that answer. I hate it with a fiery passion, but I, I can't believe all the shit he's been through. This team's been through under him that he's still around. So like at this point, I'm not betting against him. <laughs> like, now I'll let's bet against Jeff him in Blaschel. a lot of hockey games because he's going to coach a lot of losing games. But in terms of him leaving, yeah, I'm not betting against him at this point. Let's say Jeff Blashill versus the field, though. That <sighs> coin flip. I'll take the field. I'll take the field on that. I'll take a coin flip. I'll I'll put a point one to the field just because there's like. The one thing we don't have yet is we don't know who the new options are going to be because other assistant coaches will put their name in the ring. Uh, Coaches from other teams will get fired or their contracts will expire and there'll be a lot of different circumstances in the offseason. So that maybe opens up a couple more options that might intrigue Iserman. So yeah, that, that pushes me to the field, but not one guy in particular. All right, let's wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, We are going to be back with you on Wednesday. Detroit plays Nashville between now and then. I'd like to thank all of our listeners, um, our sponsor, the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, uh, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartel on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Taylor, 
Terry Driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Arjun Shanker, I read his name twice, uh, Brandon M., By Felicia, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hanali, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, uh, Matthew M. Rice, uh, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, another former junior goalie turned golfer, um, Da, 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 da. Antonio Gracias, Connor Layton, and Evans Bingo Card, uh, Fine, Crisco, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pevavar. Thank you all so much. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.